You know, obviously, we've been in a series that's uh, really wrapped in faith. I mean, that's the idea that God is building our faith. And we've been talking about that from the very beginning when we gathered around the front and we all put a hand on a rope and we said together in faith that God is going to unify us and and his glory will be known through the way that we live and and the way that we walk and the way that we get along as a church. Amen. God is building our faith. And, and, and it's no accident that, that, that we're here in the book of Acts just here a week or a week and a half before really the Holy Week. You would say in the Christian calendar that this is kind of in reverse. I mean, it's this day of Pentecost that comes after, of course, the, 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 the crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ. But, but perhaps maybe this is why that the Lord had us look at Acts even in this time, in this season, so that we can be reminded why Jesus Christ went through all that he went through. Why did Jesus Christ give his life upon Calvary? And why did he defeat, you know, the sting of death and, and the power of heaven came down and resurrected him from the grave? And so we, we come to this place this morning as God is building our faith, realizing that God is doing something probably special in your heart today, perhaps. Something special in the transformation of that heart. So I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2, looking at verse 1, and we're going to uh, read together verse 1 through verse 12, actually. And so, uh, again, just with some interest, turn to Acts. If you've brought the word with you this morning, go to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to begin by uh, reading verse 1 and then on down a little bit. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word this morning. I thank you, Father, that you are, you are building our faith and you are, you are reminding us, Father, of what you did so many years ago in the beginnings of this, this young church. But, Father, you are still at work and you're still moving and you're still building faith. And so, Father, I pray that you would just speak to that heart this morning that just needs the transforming touch of your spirit. Lord, you know what you want to do. In that heart this day. So I pray, Father, that you would just speak to that young man, speak to that woman, Father, that young person that you're you're working in and working through. And I pray, Lord, that you'll be glorified in all the things that are said and done this morning. Father, thank you for this word. I pray your anointing upon it. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, you may not see it, but the word for today, now hang in there. The word for today 
is change. It's change. And it doesn't sound as spiritual as the, the, the word faith. I mean, because faith comes into view when we, we begin to talk about the early church. But, but there is something about faith that moves us to a place that, that really results in change. In other words, let me say it like this. When faith happens, usually there is a case for change. Did you catch that? When faith happens, there is usually a case for change. And that's what we see here. A lightning bolt of change. And, and part of the spiritual experience is there is this progression that we experience in Christ. That, that, that Jesus moves us somewhere. Not just anywhere, but he moves us somewhere as he transforms and he changes the heart. I like the way that Max Lucado put it. He writes this. He says, you change your life by changing your heart. Amen. So as we begin to talk about the transformation of our heart, I mean, God is building our faith, then what change is God, you know, doing in your heart? What change is he making in your heart? And I believe that that the Lord is doing something. And I, I think the challenge for us is we, we get stuck in a rut sometimes, even spiritually, and we want things the way they are. Sometimes just because we want things the way that they are, right? And so we just kind of get there in that place where, where nothing is happening. And then we're wondering, why are things not changing for the better as we, you know, define faith? Why is our faith not moving us to a new place? It's, it's very much like the, the guy that was on a diet and, and he found himself kind of off track on his way to work. And he was driving by his favorite bakery. And he noticed there in the front window of the bakery, there was, you know, these beautiful goodies, you know, chocolate cakes and cinnamon rolls and, and little chocolates. And he thought to himself, man, I like some of that, but I'm on this diet. Well, maybe it was God's will that I, you know, just happened to drive by my favorite bakery. And so he prayed a quick prayer and he said, Lord, he said, if it's your will that I stop at this bakery, then open up a parking space for me right in front. Well, lo and behold, God answered his prayer right after he drove around the block eight times. <laughs> well, that's not the kind of faith that we're, we're, we're talking about this morning. I, I propose that sometimes we need something to rock our world. We need something to, to perhaps wake us up. I, I love the passage here in verse 23. Look at the verse 23 there. People were amazed and perplexed. I mean, have you ever been amazed about something, amazed and perplexed. I mean, I understand to be amazed as, wow, this is awesome. I'm kind of in awe of this, what I'm looking at. But to be perplexed is, is this conundrum in the mind that we're trying to understand. I mean, how is this coming together? How is this working? I mean, it's something that may be even supernatural. And so they were amazed and perplexed. I mean, the tongues of fire, just after the tongues of fire and the Holy Spirit's dramatic introduction. And, and in all of this, they, they were amazed and perplexed. The gospel of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and, of course, the Holy Spirit and the presence of the triune God that was there bringing the message and the power for Jews and Gentiles alike. I mean, there's no question on that day of Pentecost, it was a lightning bolt experience and change, thing, change happened. Things happened. I, I, I remember two times in life that I believe that that I was transformed, that I was changed and and it, it altered the direction of my life. And the first time was when I was 11 and I asked Jesus in my heart and I 
prayed a prayer and I said, Jesus, I believe in you and I want you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sin. And, and there was a transformation of my heart and folks, change happened. And all of a sudden, my passions were no longer what they were. My passions now were to know Jesus Christ, to know God. The second transformation, the second change I experienced that I believe changed my heart was when I accepted the call to ministry. When I, I remember walked to the front of the church that Sunday night and, and I took the mic and the pastor was asking, you know, the question. And I took the mic and I professed for the first time that God had called me to full-time preaching ministry. And, and, and there was this transformation that happened in that moment where all the desires that I used to have were set aside. And it was no longer about the desires of Tony Miller, but it was now about the desires that God had for my life. And so I, I guess what I'm saying is, is when, when we experience spiritual change, there are new passions. I need to say that again. When we experience church spiritual change... There are new passions. And so we're talking about this change or this transformation of our heart. And we say, okay, God changes our heart. But how, how does God change the church? I mean, how, how does God come in and he transforms the very heart of the church so that the church now is no longer what it used to be, but is now something different because of the power and the transformation presence of Jesus Christ. Amen. I, I see this in, in, in this new baby church. Because obviously it's the day of Pentecost and the power of God had come down upon the church. And, and there are things that dramatically change from that day forward. In fact, I want to share a few of them with you. The first thing that we recognize, obviously, right out of the starting gate, that changed forever is that there was no longer need for blood sacrifice. I mean, Jesus Christ was was the last you know sacrificial lamb that would ever be needed, and and we recognize this in the context that God is is a just God and He's a God that demands justice, and it's the death of Christ that provides that justice, and it's the death of Christ that is the atonement for mankind. And you say, well, what is the atonement? It's a virgin birth, and and it is the the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that brings the atonement for salvation. We, we see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Remember, you know the verse, for it is by grace that we're saved by faith. And not of ourselves, but a gift to God. So the very capacity of faith is a gift that he gives to this creation, to humankind, so that we might have everlasting life. And, and then we're reminded in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6, where he reminds us that we like sheep have gone astray, but God lays upon the lamb, the sacrificial lamb. That's Jesus Christ. You see, that's the last blood sacrifice. The sacrificial lamb is Jesus Christ. He lays upon Jesus Christ, of course, the sins of mankind so that we might rise up and have everlasting life. So what has changed forever and forevermore on that day was the no longer need for blood sacrifice. The second thing that changed, if you're making notes there, the signs and wonders needed less are needed less. Signs and wonders needed less as compared to those during the time of Christ because they did not have the New Testament. Why? Those in the New Testament were living out the New Testament. 
So they did not have the New Testament. So you see, the signs and wonders had very much to do with the fact that they did not have the New Testament. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, go with me there. Hebrews chapter 2, looking at, at verses 1 through 4, it explains the signs and wonders and that they were for the affirmation of the gospel of Christ. So we look at that. Go to Hebrews chapter 2, looking at verse 2. Let's read that together. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Listen to the language there and you know, the warning that we have so that we do not drift away. This is why we're studying the basics, you know, the spiritual disciplines. We've kind of been in that vein here recently, those basics, for since the message spoken through angels was binding in every violation and disobedience received. It's just punishment. How? Through Jesus Christ. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders. That's during the New Testament. By signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to to his will. So we have the New Testament, of course, the signs and wonders in the New Testament and the New Testament, you know, directive, which is what? The salvation of mankind. So the New Testament is for salvation, the salvation of mankind, those who in faith believe in Jesus Christ. Now, I understand the disciples were enamored by the supernatural work. I mean, in fact, Jesus, he kind of warns them there in another verse in Luke uh, chapter uh, 10, I believe, in, in around verse 20, what Jesus says, he says, however, do not rejoice when the Spirit submits you. Remember, he had sent them out. He had sent them out to do ministry. And he says, and they came back, you know, wow, the Spirit submit to us. And miracles were happening, but he says, do not be enamored by that. You know, do not rejoice that the Spirit submits to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen. And so he brings the focus back to salvation and back to, of course, relationship with God. So that was the second thing, the signs and wonders. What's the third thing? Here is the, the third thing that changed unrevocably, which is the full revelation of God through the Old and New Testament. Now, God's the loving God, and he is the God that reveals himself, and he wants himself to be known. And in that revelation, we have what? We have the word of God, which, of course, is the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I get nervous when I hear somebody say that it is a living document. I get nervous, and I understand that there is wisdom, and the Spirit speaks to us, and we are to chase after wisdom, as she is like a person, that we gain that wisdom, and the Holy Spirit directs us and leads us. But what we recognize in the Word of God, remember, we are solid in the Word of God, that the Word of God is the full disclosure of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and so we give priority to Scripture. Amen. And so we recognize that. And we recognize the manifestation of God's love for man through Jesus Christ in his example. So that's what's changed. Another thing on the day of Pentecost that changed was the personal filling of the Holy Spirit. The comforter had come, not only convincing people of sin, but fulfilling and cleansing us from sin. And we see this from the very beginning of the day of Pentecost. That the Holy Spirit comes in, he cleanses us, and he, he washes us clean from, from sin. But not only that, there, there is a pure heart, or what we talk about sometimes 
as Christian perfection. That God creates a, a perfection in us, a Christian perfection, which is not necessarily, of course, you know, perfect behavior, but it's the perfect intent of a heart that is filled by, by the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I think sometimes we, we draw from that idea because of maybe our own weaknesses. Because of our own weakness versus the ability of God to cleanse and purify us in, in his control. You see, the challenge is we hang on to the control box. The challenge is we want to keep the control. And, and sometimes it's trying to, you know, mix, you know, our way with God's way or, or, or trying to have God, you know, uh, exist in the same space that we exist. And I, I remember a, a spouse, a pastor's and spouse retreat. My wife and I went on in Alabama and uh, when we arrived there, it was a bunch of other pastors and their spouses. And we were just kind of spending about three days of, of fellowship and uh, and they gave us a little package, kind of a little baggie with some goodies in it. You know, there's a water bottle and I think some granola bars and some snacks, but also some maps and some ideas of what we could do for a couple days. And one of the things that they had in there was a little map of 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 all the covered bridges there in that county. It was in Alabama. I didn't pass in Alabama, but we traveled to Alabama for the retreat. And so it was a county in Alabama that has more covered bridges than any other county in the United States. Anybody been there before? It's like 13 covered bridges. You know, a little bridge, it's a, a single lane bridge. They had all that in common. Every bridge was a single lane bridge and it kind of looked like a barn. The, the, the bottom of the bridge is built out of wood, you know, planks that you drove across and the outside the bridges were different colors. Each one was a different color basically and kind of looked like a barn going over a little creek. And, and, and part of the covered bridge experience is that when you approached it from one Way, you had a yield sign here on this side. But then if you approached it from the other way, it had a yield sign on that side because it was only one lane and only one car could go through the covered bridge at a time. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, you can imagine how terrible it would be if you try to cross that bridge at night without headlights. It'd be a disaster. So anyways, it's just one car at a time. And so only one car can occupy the lane crossing that little river or stream at a time. I, I think life is so much like that because, folks, it, it cannot be, you know, God and you. It's either God or it's you. You see, it's either God's way. It's a one way, one lane track here. It's either God's way or it's your way. It can't be God's plan and your plan. It has to be God's plan. Amen. And so we recognize that in the filling of the Holy Spirit, God gives us direction in life. And it's God's plan that we seek as his spirit fills us. Amen. So the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that's one thing that changed. Here's another thing that changed on the day of Pentecost, the meaning of baptism. Baptism, the meaning of baptism. Now, listen, in the Old Testament, the priestly understanding of water was an issue of being spiritually clean or unclean. The priestly understanding was the idea that that once you've gone through ritual and you are clean, you're considered, you know, holy and clean. Then if the clean touches something that is unclean, the something that is unclean makes the clean unclean. Do you follow me? So in the understanding of the Old Testament law, the idea of being clean, again, a priestly understanding of clean is that we have to stay clean. In fact, so much so that they took it 
really to the nth degree. I remember visiting the Holy Lands about eight years ago. My wife and I, with a group from our church, in fact, we have about 40 of us from our church here at Mission Church, we're going to the Holy Lands in October. But anyhow, my wife and I, we went about eight years ago, and we went to um, Qumran, where, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. In fact, it's an area of caves that they discovered over 900 different scrolls you know, written on papyrus paper, and, and of course we're still just delving into that and learning from that. But in that area of Quimron, that's called Quimron, there is another area that is an archaeological dig that was uh, the location of another religious sect other than Sadducees and Pharisees of the time, but a sect that was called the Essenes. And the Essenes were very much, you know, bound to the law, and, and they were very much living under the, the priestly understanding of, of holiness. And, and their dwelling was built with several different rooms. So they were like monks and they had these individual living spaces and there were just several of them in a row. And then, of course, across the hallway, there were several more in a row. And you can see the foundations of their living space. And what was interesting, in every living space, they had a tub you know, in essence, kind of an archaic type of rock, you know, bath that, that you could see in the foundation. So they could literally, you know, they could literally bathe themselves several times a day or baptize themselves several times a day so that they could be ritually clean. You see, all of that changes on this day of Pentecost. The meaning of baptism itself that, that represents the atonement of Christ and it's baptism that is the celebration of our salvation in faith through Jesus Christ. It's not for the priestly understanding, but it is an atonement and the salvation of Christ that we get baptized. And in fact, next Sunday, one of our children is getting baptized and so we're going to have the stuff cleaned off. And we're going to have a baptism next Sunday morning. And it's going to be a celebration of life as we understand the New Testament meaning of baptism. That changed. What else changed? The dispensation of salvation by grace changed. Moving from the law of ritual simply to the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ by God's grace. And theologically, this is why we do not need rituals, but only the holy sacraments that Christ gives us as an example. The, the sacrament of baptism, the sacrament of the Eucharist, the, 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 the Lord's Supper, and of course the, the prayer of salvation. And so all of these other things, under the dispensation of grace and the other rituals, are really for teaching purposes and not that what is ordained, of course, by our Savior Jesus Christ. You see, that changed. And then the last thing that I want to mention that changed is the recognition of Old Testament fulfilled prophecy. Did you know that 353 Old Testament prophecies, imagine that, 353 Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ? You, you can imagine then as we... You know, look at our world and the history of mankind in relationship with the Father, our Creator, and how God's dynamic presence has affected and impacted humankind. How the presence of our Creator is literally changing things. Even as we look at these, these pages of faith this morning in this, this new baby church, things, things changed. Things changed. Things were transformed. And I began this morning by... By asking the question or talking about, you know, the heart that is transformed. And if God is building our faith, 
then I, I want to ask the question, what needs to change in your heart this morning? How does God need to transform your life? Or, or maybe what, what does faith need to renew in you this day? The book of Acts begins by recording the story of the early church. There's no question about that. By, by how the Holy Spirit breaks into the history of mankind. And it's the power of that spirit that created all these changes that we were just sharing. And all these changes that God does. I guess the question is, how does God need to break into the human history of your life and change your heart? How does he need to transform you? In our early service, during Sermon in the Sack, one of the, the kids that brought the, the Sermon in the Sack, he bought a little, he brought a little transformer. You know, a little transformer doll. And, you know, of course, the conversation is about that, you know, God transforms us. And that's really basic, isn't it? But God transforms us. God changes things. And part of, of, of God building our faith is that possibly that God wants to change something in your heart this morning. And I don't know what that is. I mean, you know what the Lord is speaking to you about. But maybe it's a transformation of your attitude or your willingness to, to, to serve Him. But I know this, that God transforms and He changes our heart. How does God need to change your heart this morning? I want to invite us just to bow our heads for just a moment. And let's close our eyes. And we're going to ask that question this morning. God, how do you need to change our hearts? How do you need to transform us, Father, that we might, Lord, be more like you? That we might follow Jesus, your example, and in your footsteps. That you might be glorified, Father. And so, Father, I pray right now with our heads bowed and eyes closed that you would just speak to that one young person right now. That, that teenager or maybe perhaps that mom this morning that is just sensing that, Father, that you are wanting to build a faith in them. I, I pray, Father, that you would transform the heart of, of that father. And you know exactly what he is going through, the temptations that he's facing. I pray that you would transform that father's heart and that, Lord, that he would find himself in love with you and serving you. And, and that, Lord, the desires of, of these hearts, Lord, would shift from our own desires to the desires that you have given us. Father, we understand that this, this, is, a, this is a one lane bridge. It's not my way and your way, but, Father, it's, it's one or the other. It's your way. And so, Father, I pray for that one this morning that is just really maybe wrestling with something. They're, they're just really trying to make a determination of whether they're going to hang on to something or let it go. And they're hearing your voice speak to them that's saying, let it go. I pray, Father, that we would choose your way and that you'll be glorified as you make this change happen in our heart this morning. Oh, Father in heaven, I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that came to us on Pentecost. And I pray, Father, that that power would speak to that, that young heart this morning. We just worship you today. We need you, Father. We need the power of your change in our heart this morning. Father, maybe it's, it's faith that's been missing out in somebody's life right now. I pray, Lord, that you just give that person faith this morning. Give them faith, I pray. Lift them as they, they are whispering their prayer right now, Father. Thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking to that heart, for transforming that heart this morning. We just worship you. We praise your name.